starting. I'm going to get underway here. Uh, sometimes we have notes for these events. Sometimes we don't. I'm really glad we don't this time because the Lord it allows actually a little more freedom, I feel like, uh, to teach what the Lord's telling us to do for this particular group. The principles we've taught during this weekend, uh, we teach consistently in the ministry in different, uh, the principles are in a lot of our courses. To what we've done is we've given you a 30,000 foot flyover of kind of what LL teaches and some of the kingdom keys to healing that we teach. But I think what sets LL apart from many other healing ministries, and I'm and I have and I'm glad there's plenty of healing ministries. So I would encourage you, uh, you know, that LL is not doesn't have a corner on the market of healing. Okay, but what I have found with LL is that it seems in many ways to go deeper uh, with regard to the process of healing and the discipleship aspect of things than what I see is, is typical in a lot of the healing ministry across the church now. And I like that because really, if healing is going to last, it needs we need to get it into the down deep, not just up here and not just experiment experientially on the surface at some point, but down deep in our knowing. And the, the fact of the matter is, it, that takes time. See, in, in Western society, we want the drive-by healing, you know. <laughs> we, not the drive-by shooting, we want the drive-by healing. Or we, want, we, want, we want the drive-through. I, I want to pull up to the menu and say I'd like, you know, um, a large dosage of... Um, emotional healing, and uh, uh, a drink of a presence of the Holy Spirit in my life, and, uh, and by the way, I'd like my uh, feet to be healed of fallen arches, and then drive up and put my offering in the basket, and voila, I've got it. But actually, that, that is totally contrary to how God actually does it. In fact, what I tell people is, we come, it's, it's very dangerous to connect giving money directly to receiving a healing. You know, occult practitioners do that. I grew up in a place where there were occult practitioners that could bring relief of symptoms to people. I don't call it healing because it wasn't bringing godly order in their lives. They were calling upon the evil supernatural to manipulate the person's body in a certain way so they could be relieved of their symptoms. They might have symptom relief, but the healing method was demonic. So simply because we get a good result from something doesn't mean it's okay. And I'm talking in this session about deliverance ministry because we've referenced it several times, but what we choose to do with our bodies, the decisions we make, and the things we choose to believe can open us up to the evil supernatural having authority in our life to cause issues in our bodies, in our souls, and in our spirits. And so this session, what we're focusing on is deliverance from evil spirits. That's the simplest way. 
And and when we talk about, uh, for instance, when I was saying that, that people can get healed in foreign countries going to a shaman, they can get symptom relief. But what I found with the evil supernatural is when they do something, they'll give you a finger, but they'll take a hand. The exchange is they're never going to get a bad deal. Satan's never going to get a bad deal to bring you relief from your issue. You could use alcohol to relieve your issues or drugs or something like that. You'll relieve the pain, but what are you losing in the process? Do you see what I'm saying? Whereas Jesus is the opposite. He gives it freely. So I was just referencing, look, when you hear somebody say, if you bring me a certain offering, I'll pray for your healing. Dangerously close, in my opinion, if not directly related to sorcery and, and paying to receive a healing. I always, when I hear this kind of stuff going on in the church, and I'm not here to bash any particular person, but I think there's some kind of spirit operating in the church now. We have to be aware of it. When I hear these kind of statements, I think of Elijah. Do you remember Elijah? When Naaman came to him. Was it Elijah or Elisha? I always get them confused. It was Elisha. Thank you, Judah. Remember Naaman? The little servant girl, he had, he had leprosy. And the little servant girl said to him, hey, Naaman, you know, there's this prophet in Israel that can heal people. You should go to Israel. Now, he was, I, I forget what country he was from, Syria, I think. He was a commander in the army. He was a big shot. And he went to Elisha. And you remember Elisha wouldn't even come out to meet him? He sent his servant out to address him, and Naaman got really teased about that. And on top of that, the servant told him to go wash in the Jordan and dip seven times in this muddy river. That really offended him. He was like, screw you on this. I'm going back to Syria. We got cleaner rivers over there. I can dip in that. Now, isn't that kind of the way it is with us when we come to the Lord for healing? He says, do this thing, and we're like, well, I'm too proud to do that. And we go off and continue in our brokenness. There's a lot of good lessons to learn about Naaman. One of them is that when Naaman actually surrendered and hum humbled himself and went and dipped in the Jordan River, he got healed, and then he wanted to go back and give Elisha all these gifts. And Elisha actually said, I won't receive payment because God's mercy is not for sale, essentially. God told him not to accept payment. And then the servant went out, caught up with Naaman, and said, hey, uh, he's changed his mind. We'll take a few of those garments, this, that, and the other thing. And you remember what happened to the servant? He got leprosy. We are messing with some very dangerous things when we start connecting payment to God's healing. Now, at LL Ministries, the Lord told us from the beginning to never charge for healing. So when people come on healing retreats around the world, they never pay a cent. We do charge for the courses because the Lord told us to support the ministry by charging for the courses. When the people have come and tasted and seen of the healing, then they want to come back and get more. Then you can charge them financially for the teaching. 
You can charge them for the books, and uh, you can you can you can ask them to give a free will offering, but never charge for the healing. And I think that's a really good policy. We are very careful not to make the healing connected with any form of payment because that's dangerous. And it's what is actually done uh, with shamans all over the world. You bring me this, that, and the other thing, and I'll, I'll do this incantation, and then you'll be better. So what are we talking about uh, during this session is ways that we can uh, get a demonic stronghold in our life. How many of you have read a book, maybe Peter's book on healing through deliverance? How many of you have read that? Okay, oh man, there's only like one or two. All right, I would highly recommend it. We only have five copies here, and I know they're $35, so you say, well, that's very expensive. But you can order them from the bookstore if you later save up and have the money or feel led. But I strongly encourage you to read that book, Healing Through Deliverance. Because when we started LO Ministries, and I say we, I wasn't around in the ministry back then. That was 30 years ago. But when Peter started it, we thought that we would have people come in and we'd pray with them about their issues. We'd be Christians from the church that were struggling with things. They would have some tears and we would encourage them with some scripture. They'd go on their way and they'd feel better. That was kind of what we envisioned. That was what Peter envisioned. But when the people started coming through the doors, the worst of the worst, the church sent them all the most difficult situations of people that had really, really serious struggles, suicide, addictions, uh, 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 weird phenomenon going on in their home. And when they started praying for people, they began to see manifestations of the evil supernatural in people's lives, demonic spirits speaking out of people, people having physical manifestations that they had some kind of a demonic stronghold. And they said, wait a minute, we've always learned that a Christian can't have a demon. That if you've got Jesus in your heart, there's no possible way a demon could have that authority in your life. So they had to go back and search the scriptures for this. And what becomes clear when you look at the scriptures is many of the people, in fact, literally half of the healings in the New Testament involve the casting out of demons. I'm talking about half of the physical healings reference in conjunction with the healing, casting out demons. Thus the book, Healing Through Deliverance. Because what they started seeing is when they cast out the demonic, people were healed of physical problems, emotional problems, tormenting, so forth. Paralyzing fear, depression. And so they began to clue in on this. And when we looked at the theology of it, here's the truth. The people that were coming to Jesus for healing were already believing of who he was. So there was that faith vested in Jesus. Had they accepted Jesus and his finished work on the cross and have all that understanding? No, they didn't. But they, with the knowledge they had of who this man was as the son of God, they believed him to be. They were coming to him for healing. And they had that that understanding. So when we say, well, it can't, a Christian couldn't have a demon, first of all, it's a distortion because the word used in the scriptures for demon-possessed, the word that's translated demon-possessed in the scriptures is actually the word 
dominizomai. Now, what does that word mean? It actually means to be to have a demon or to be vexed by a demon. So when we say demon-possessed, what do you think of when we say demon-possessed? When I think of demon-possessed, I think of the, the exorcist. Uh, some person whose head's spinning around, they're completely out of control, they're like an automaton, and the demons just guide them everywhere. And by the way, Hollywood is happy to in reinforce that idea that Demon, real demonization, or real, really having a demon or being demon-possessed is this extreme situation where people are running around um, and able to pick up tall buildings or throw people against walls. When somebody's heavily demonized, yes, those are some of the manifestations that can occur. But we've prayed for many, many people that have had a demon, and they, weren't, they didn't have their head spinning around and throwing up pea soup. They had a physical manifestation in their body. So before I go on, I just want to pray. Lord, I just come, I come to you and I humble myself before you. And I proclaim into the heavenlies that Jesus Christ is Lord. And at the, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That God is above all things and his son Jesus Christ is above all principalities and powers and they have been all brought under his feet and they are all defeated already at the cross. So in talking about this, Lord, we bring no glory to them and we bind every wicked and evil spirit that would bring confusion to the minds of people now, cause them to be stirred up. We bind fear in Jesus' name. We bind mind control spirits in Jesus' name. You cannot do your activity so that the people can hear. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would unclog our ears to hear what the Spirit, your Spirit, is saying to the church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, with deliverance, you have one part of the church that doesn't want anything to do with it. And another part of the church, I frequently feel, it, it makes a show of it. And in deliverance ministry, we never want to give any glory to the enemy. I don't want to see some poor person thrown about on the floor or, or having a seizure or something like that. It's not glorified. It's, de it's demeaning to the individual. So at LL Ministries, we're very careful to try to minister to people in a gentle, loving way. What, how would Jesus do it? Did he make a big production of it? You remember when he was casting the spirit out of the little boy that was thrown into the fire and thrown into the water, and his daddy came to Jesus and said, look, your disciples can't get this thing to leave my son. I think he's going to die. Uh, what's the problem? And then Jesus challenged the father's unbelief. And then he cast the demon out of the little boy. But you remember the crowd was running, and he said, I want to get this thing done before we get a big crowd. He wasn't wanting to make a big production out of it. He was wanting to bring freedom to the person that had the issue. And so when we're doing deliverance ministry, we don't want to either make a show out of it or give Satan any credit. On the other hand, we don't want to be ignorant of or turn a blind eye to these issues because in the end of the church that I came from, which was Baptist, 
We knew that there were people with real serious issues. And sometimes I believe even pastors and leaders would see something that really was a, ma a demonic manifestation, but rather inquire further about it. They would just kind of like, we'll just not pay attention to that person. Maybe they'll by osmosis get fixed. But over here, sometimes I see a total focus on it's all about deliverance. And let's just cast out some demons and then we'll move on. But actually, it's really somewhere in the center where we're bringing the truth of the word of God into people's lives, exposing the places where the enemy has a hold, like we've talked about this weekend. And then applying the blood of Jesus to deliver the people from the hold of the evil supernatural and close the door so the enemy can't come back. Are you following me? That is what we want to do. And what I said about LL is we thought it was going to be a, a tea and tissues ministry. In America, we call it a coffee and Kleenex ministry. In England, they call it a tea and tissues ministry. And then they saw all these manifestations. So they started doing all this deliverance ministry, but they saw people go on the deliverance merry-go-round. They'd get the demons out and then the people would be redemonized. So what's going on? Well, there must be some authority in the person's life that they've been given to the enemy to come and harass them and to have this hold in the person's life. So then we started looking at the roots, and that's what we've been talking about. We talked about forgiveness. It's important. Sometimes people have brokenness in their emotions where there's been total distortion of em how emotions should be expressed, and all their emotions have been tamped down and locked down, and they've not been able to express them. And in that, there can be a lot of demonic activity in unexpressed emotions. Did you know emotions were to be expressed? They're like, uh, they're like manna. You know, manna was only to be kept for 24 hours or it became rotten. When we stuff emotions, they rot inside of us. They're not dead, but they're full of mag they can become full of maggots and be a feeding ground for the evil supernatural. When we have brokenness in the human spirit, the enemy can have a hold in that place of brokenness that to a large degree we're not even aware of. And how do we know that it's there? The Holy Spirit has to show us it's there. We don't run around like Kent was saying, trying to shoot down everything we can think of. We, we need to ask the Lord to guide us to what the issues are in our personal life. But many, many Christians I know have some form or another of a demonic stronghold or influence in their life. It might be generational and has existed in their family line for several generations. It could be that they've opened the door to it. And so we want to briefly talk about these ways that people can open themselves up uh, to the enemy to be influenced by the enemy. So the first slide I think I have, if I can um, get uh, the my, my slides back up, I have a puzzle piece, I think, and, and this the reason I have the puzzle piece here is because this was one of the very big missing pieces in my life as a believer that I did not understand. But I had been demonized since I was 12. Now, I had some open doors generationally, too, that were probably feeding into that spiritually uh, with e evil supernatural influence on my family line. But at 12 years old, I personally was deeply wounded, and in that wound, spiritually, the enemy was happy to enter in. You understand that when you're on the front lines for God and, and, and your cover is down in some way, 
and spiritually. He doesn't stand around and go, oh, poor little child, I won't take advantage of this. No, he's happy to come right in because now he has a hold from which he can kill, steal, and destroy in your life, push you towards ungodly activity and so forth. And so unbeknownst to me, I had been demonized. There was a place of authority of the enemy in my life starting at that time. Now, when you've carried the evil supernatural around in your life, it almost feels like it's part of you. It has such an influence in you, you think, this is me. This is who I am. But actually, it's an overlay to who your, what your identity is. Much sexual sin and perversion and drivenness to a, a particular proclivity, that's distortion of the sexuality, is, has demonic influence there. Do you understand? That's pushing you towards that. And so people say, well, this is what I am. But actually... It isn't who God created them to be. It's an overlay. I'll give you this really poignant story that uh, it comes from one of the healing retreats and a lady that trained me. Uh, she has a book out, I think, in the series that we have on the tables, The Stepping Stones of the Father Heart of God. Her name's Margaret Sylvester. She was teaching uh, ministry, uh, a, a healing retreat, and a couple uh, of... of, of uh, Men came in to the healing retreat, sat on the front row, and she noticed while she was teaching that one of the men was being very affectionate or very helpful to the other man. It didn't seem like a platonic male relationship. Let's just say that. And so at the break, she was just trying to figure out what was going on, and she went to talk to them, and it turned out they were a married couple but one of the people that looked like a man was actually a woman. And the woman had been struggling with identity of her sexuality since she was every she could ever remember. And she was sitting with this man whom she'd married, but now she had come to the place where she was so tired of trying to fight the feeling that she was actually a man that she said, because she was physically a woman, but she felt like a man, and she said, and she was on her way in the process of getting a sex change. But they were Christians. Do you understand? They were born-again believers. And she didn't want to do it, but she felt she had no choice. And her husband convinced her, could we just go to this healing retreat and see if the Lord will meet with us and heal you from this because they've been praying for you. And at that healing retreat, the Lord identified the issue, and this is what had happened. When she was in the womb, she had been a twin. Her mother tried to have an abortion, had an abortion, and it aborted her twin brother. She did not get aborted, came to term, and was birthed because they passed the time you know, the, the months or the, the weeks that they could legally do the abortion. She came to term, was born. Now, there's two things operating here. A deep rejection because your mother tried to kill you in the womb. Do you understand? And then this whole death in the womb that happened with the brother. And what had happened is she had taken on the sexual identity of the lost twin because he was male. 
And when they prayed into this and dealt with it, forgiving the mother and dealing with the, 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 the shock and the trauma in the womb and prayed for her, she was delivered mightily. And the next day she came out dressed in women's clothes and from that point on was stable and, and good. And I believe she ministered at LR. If, if I'm remembering the story right, she went on to minister at LR. Now, this stuff is real. Sometimes it's not that dramatic of a switch. But in this instance, she, was, she had a demonic influence in her life that was driving her in this direction. And this is the kind of thing we're talking about with generational sin and with our own sin. So uh, what is deliverance? It's removing the enemy's authority. It's removing the enemy's authority or his right to do things in your life. The enemy is a legalist. And when we step out from under covenant with God and we sin or our family does so, the enemy has a right then to do certain things in our life to us because we have chosen to give him that authority. So it goes all the way back to the first session. And what is deliverance? Well, the word used is ekbalo, to cast out, drive out, or send out with the notion of violence, to get rid of, or banish. So when Jesus deals with these things, he banishes them. Now, let me just mention my uh, go a reference back to my personal story. Uh, after I surrendered, I told you about my surrender, and I went on staff at my church. It wasn't too long after that that the Lord took me to LR. And remember I told you that he challenged me, do you want to be healed? And I thought when I surrendered that night, I had a huge burden lifted off my back, but that was the beginning of my healing. And my healing journey actually took about five years for the fullness of that process to work its way out. But one of the first places he took me in that process was to LR, and I got the work healing through deliverance and started reading, and I thought, this looks really familiar. Some of these things these people are describing, I see these things in my life. So I said to Andy Taylor, who was the director, will you minister to me? I'm a pastor on staff. I'd like to maybe recommend people come out and get ministry from you, but I don't know about this whole deliverance thing. I come from a Baptist church. I've never even heard of that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, I've seen people that are demonized, but I didn't know that a Christian could deal with some of this stuff and and uh, and uh, this whole healing thing. So anyway, I read, I, I I read the book. Then I went to the ministry, and that day the Lord met with me in a very powerful way. And every time I talk about, it, I get emotional because when you meet the Lord in that special place that only He knows about. It is so, I can't describe what it's like unless you've experienced it. He met with me and he drove out the darkness that had a hold in my life because I was willing to forgive the people involved. And when he met with me and the blood of Jesus covered that stuff and the power of, of the Holy Spirit came in and drove out the enemy because the authority in, the, in my life had been taken away from the enemy to stay. All I could do was lay on the ground prostrate, prostrate, not prostrate, prostrate, and, and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. 
Christmas for the first time, I fully understood that the blood of Jesus is not just a principle floating around up here, but it's actually powerful. The blood of Jesus shed upon the cross atones for our sin, and it breaks the power of darkness in our lives so that he cannot take his pound of flesh anymore. Oh, that's a much more mighty miracle than I ever imagined was involved in salvation. Did you know the word salvation actually means healing? that day I was healed and then the Lord had to do some more ministry into the family line and some other emotional things and some insecurities and father wounds and things like that. But I will never forget that day when he released me from spiritual bondage. So that's what deliverance is, releasing of spiritual bondage. And here's what uh, this slide says. It says disobedience before God has always brought spiritual bondage. Resolution under the Old Covenant, under the Old Testament, was to appeal to the higher authority of God by going through the rituals. Now, remember how the Jews had to take certain offerings to the, to the temple and, and had to, um, to, to do this, take a pigeon and this, that, and the other thing? All that was symbolic of the work that Jesus was going to do upon the cross. But there were these prescribed methods of dealing with certain infections, with uh, physical infections after they'd gotten through and healed. Uh, with mold in the house, all these kind of things. But resolution under the new covenant is through the authority of Jesus Christ and his blood that was shed at the cross. You remember in Jeremiah it says, there's a new covenant, I will make a new covenant with my people. And when he sat there at the last supper, that last Passover with his disciples, he said, this is my blood of the new covenant that was shed for you for what? For the remission of sins. This is the, the shedding of the blood for remission of sins. And that's why with the authority of the name of Jesus, when Jesus came out of the, uh, uh, of the desert after his testing and he was full of the Holy Spirit and uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit he was moving, the evil spirits cried out of the people when Jesus was in the house. So, this power and authority thing, I'm not going to go over again, but here's the thing. I want to show you this picture of a, of a diamondback snake that we got on the land, or found on the land. Uh, this is Gene, and if you go one further, you'll see a picture of the snake's head. Gene found this snake on the land, and instead of running over it with his mower, because he mows the land sometimes, he's a big tractor for us as a, as a, a ministry, uh, to us, he um, got off the, the tractor and beat the head in of the snake so that he could uh, take the skin. And he took it home to his wife and put it in the freezer. And she wasn't any too happy with him. Because here's the thing about snakes. After you crush their head, they keep on moving for a good long time. I think it was, he said, three or four hours this thing kept moving. Now, in Genesis, the scripture says that God said to the serpent that there will be one that comes out of the woman. This was the first prophecy of the Messiah. There will be one come out of the woman that will crush the head of the serpent. Now, what does the head represent? What does the head represent in an organization? Authority. So the authority of the, of the enemy in the lives of human beings would be crushed by one that would come out of the woman, referencing Jesus Christ. When Jesus died upon the cross, the enemy's head was crushed and his authority over the earth was broken 
in the sense that now there was a new authority in the name of Jesus. And if we would come under that authority and be obedient to that authority, now we're coming out from under the authority of the enemy. And we're under the authority of Jesus, back under the authority of God, and in the place that God meant for mankind to be from the inception of the world. But here's the thing. Satan is still around, and we are still fighting the battle to submit to the King of kings and Lord of lords, that is Jesus. And in that interim process, friends, the enemy still acts as if he's something else. But it's all smoke and mirrors. Now, I'm not saying he's not powerful, because if we submit to his authority, then there's all kinds of havoc he can create in our lives. But he's lost his authority through Jesus' work on the cross. So when we'll bring ourselves under Jesus' authority, the enemy loses whatever footholds he has. The problem is we're kind of toying, and this is the process of sanctification, friends. That's a big theological word. That's kind of we're cleaning out of the closets. See, when we get born again, it's kind of like Jesus bought the house of our life. Now, you know, when you buy a home... You become the owner, right? You sign the papers. You might have a mortgage on it, but you become the owner of the home. But simply because you're the home owner of the home doesn't mean that there can't be necessarily some things lurking around in that home that you don't want in that home. And that's kind of the way it is with the situation with the demonic. So... We can give the house of our life to the Lord, but then he needs to walk with us through that house and clean out the, the, the garbage. Help us dump the, the stuff that doesn't belong in there. I don't know if you have some pictures you can put up. It's a little further in the slide presentation, but there's some pictures of squatters. Now, this is what demons do, spiritually feeling. When they have a place in our life, they can tear up our life emotionally, spiritually, and even physically. That's their, that's their job, <laughs> is to kill, steal, and destroy. And so part of the process of sanctification is going in after you've exuzoed or uh, kicked out the demonic and cleaning up the mess with the Lord that's been left. That's the healing process. So you've got to cast out demons and you've got to heal people. You've got to ask the Holy Spirit to come in and bring order. So how does, how do, how do demons get a hold? How do we surrender to the authority of Satan versus God? Well, the Lord's given us a guidebook for how to live our lives. That is the Holy Bible. These are laws to obey, and there are penalties for breaking the laws. Even if you don't know you're breaking the law, there are penalties for breaking the law. Did you know that if you go up here and it's 55 miles an hour on the marking on the speed limit, but you never saw it and you drove 75 miles an hour, you could get a ticket for driving 20 miles over the speed limit. And if you went to the judge and said, I didn't know, he would say ignorance of the law is no excuse. You're going to have to prove a fact. And this is the truth with spiritual laws. Many people say, well, I, I, mercy... Uh, there's mercy of God. Yes, there is. But spiritual laws are in place that are very much physical laws 
like physical laws. And if we say that we're going to walk off a cliff onto rocks 30 feet below, and we say we're under mercy and not, and not law, and we walk off a cliff, what's the highest likelihood? It's probably a 99.99% chance we are going to be physically injured. Now, could the Lord come along with his angels and catch you in his mercy? Yes, but typically the law of gravity plays out. And when we violate God's spiritual laws, the spiritual laws can play out in the same way. So we have an instruction manual, operating instructions to follow. There are consequences if these rules and guidelines are ignored. So I've got a picture of some sheep and a pen. And actually, God's laws of how to conduct our life, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, those aren't all passe, guys. The laws, the moral laws of God are still in place. And when we violate them, there are consequences. The enemy would love us to believe that there are no consequences now because Jesus died upon the cross. But actually, that's not what the scripture says. He says the atonement or the covering for it is now the blood of Jesus. But we still have to bear the consequences of our sin if it isn't atoned for by our recognition of the sin and confession to God of what we've done. There's something flying through the church now about what I call hyper grace, where you could just do whatever you want. And it, the blood's covering it. To the extreme that now people don't even have to confess Christ because Christ died for the entire humanity and they don't ever have to make a decision to trust Christ. They'll be saved from damnation. But it starts with this idea that Christians don't have to follow any kind of moral law anymore because we're under grace, not under law. And we're not subject to the penalty of the law because of the blood of Jesus, but we still will have consequences for violating the law unless and until we put that violation of God's law under the blood of Jesus. And the only way that happens is if we admit the sin, agree with God. Remember, confess. I confess. I agree with God about the sin. And if I really agree with God about the sin, I'm going to turn away from it because I know it offends God's heart. So what is the law about? Is it about be God being a buzzkill? No, if you go to the next picture, it's about God protecting us from being annihilated. And we think he's just trying to keep us from having fun. But he's actually trying to keep us from being run over by the Mack truck of the consequences because we've stepped outside of his boundaries for how we were to live in a fallen world. And the enemy is looking, he's prowling about as a roaring lion looking for those whom he may devour when they step outside of moral laws of God. Now, the scripture says, do not give the devil a foothold. That's Ephesians 4.27. And the, the idea of having a demon or being demonized, uh, I think the better interpretation rather than saying demon-possessed is say demonized. It may, simply means you're being affected by a demon in some way. It, there's a scripture in Ephesians 4.27 that says, uh, be angry and sin not. Do not let the sun go down upon your wrath. Do not give the enemy a foothold. This is a topos, topos. This is a landing place for the devil. And when we hold anger and bitterness, for instance, and unforgiveness, we give a place to the enemy to have a stronghold in our life. And it can be so in other ways. And so I have this illustration where you've got these wounds or these things that have happened or these sins we've committed 
and then the enemy would come in and like a termite and take up a position in our life. And now he holds us in bondage and he entices us to sin in a more significant way. Now, the enemy's always out there. And even if you're delivered of every demonic spirit, the enemy still will come and try to tempt you from time to time. But we're never going to get rid of that. But the fact of the matter is we can get it so that it's not has this right to constantly harass and pester us with the same temptations. And actually, when somebody is feels driven, that's a real sign that they're demonized. Um, I'm not going to go into the, the definition or, or whether it's a Christian can have or not. Uh, I would just encourage if you have questions about that to read Healing Through Deliverance. Uh, so I don't want to spend all my time there. What I do want to talk about is going to uh, how does the enemy gain a place? First of all, let's talk about possible evidences of having a demon. And this, just because you have one instance of something like this doesn't mean you're demonized. Please don't hear me to say that. But when you see uh, certain things in people's lives, you need to be asking the question, do they have some kind of demonic influence? Possible evidence of having a demon is addictions, behavior extremes, depression, hearing voices, irrational fears, occult attraction, overwhelming guilt and condemnation, sexual aberrations, spiritual bondage. Let me give an example of spiritual bondage. A young man got born again that uh, was a friend of my daughter's. I actually baptized him in our church. And then he came to me a few weeks later and he said, uh, Pastor Matt, I, I, every time I read the Bible, all I hear is uh, Jesus isn't God, Jesus isn't God, Jesus isn't God. I said, well, he said, I can't even read my Bible. He said, I believe Jesus is God. I've accepted him as my Savior. What's going on? And so I whispered a prayer, Lord, help. I don't know what's going on with this young man. And immediately the Lord said, ask him if he's got Freemasonry in his family background. Now, Freemasonry is something that poses itself as a men's club, and but there's a lot of vows and curses that are made within that organization that are designed to lock down the family. It's mixture. Many Christians are involved in it, at least in the past, Christian men, but it is mixing the profane with the holy. And so when you have that in your background, listen, I had that in my background. There was tons of bad fruit in our family because of it, and I needed to deal with that. But this, this issue of spiritual bondage was affecting this young man. I said, ask if there, he said, what is, what is that, that? I've never heard of it. He said, is it like National Treasure? Now, that was the movie about, you know, what are they called? The one branch of the Freemasons. I said, well, that's Hollywood terms. But I said, it's, it's an organization. Um, is there anybody in your family you can ask? He said, yeah, I, I know somebody I can ask. You do that. Next day, text me. Lo and behold, asks his grandmother. She says, oh, yeah, your grandfather's a Freemason, but that's not any big deal. A lot of Christians are in there. So we ministered into the Freemasonry, and all that voice stuff stopped. That's spiritual bondage. Deceitful personality, hereditary illness. So the next slide I want to show you is demonic footholds from willing participation. When we willingly bow the knee to an idol or go in a false religion, I have people come in that have 
inadvertently, they'd gone to a foreign country as a tourist, and then they'd gone into a temple, they'd taken off their shoes, or they'd engaged in some kind of ceremony at the temple. When you do that, whenever you bow the knee to idols, even inadvertently, you can get a demonic stronghold in your life, a physical problem that is fed by something of the evil supernatural. We've seen that over and over. But especially when you've chosen to go and bow the knee to a false god. And many Christians have gotten into into cults, and now they've got the manifestation of that fruit in their life, and they don't know where it's coming from, and they need to close that door. Occult involvement in yourself, if you've gone to seances, if you've been involved in any kind of palm reading, you said, I'll just read the horoscope even, any of that kind of stuff opens doors to the occult. Even things like, listen, I'm going to step on a lot of people's toes because I have friends that think it's perfectly okay, and their children read this literature. But if you if you are looking, if your kids are reading Harry Potter, I would tell you, do not do it. I have seen the spirit of suicide and death on family after family related in people that are reading and have that literature in their home. You say, oh, you're crazy. The scripture says, flee from this kind of abomination, my friends. Why are we doing it? Why do we want to get close to it? I celebrated Halloween for years. I wanted my kids to go to Harry Potter with me. Let's go watch Harry Potter. This was years ago. But when the Lord began to reveal to me the significance of when we open these doors, I didn't want anything to do with it. I thought, oh, it's just a little play, make-believe stuff. But I've seen instance after instance of, 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 of people that are in self-harm that are directly connected to the, to the stuff in the Harry Potter books. And when you minister into that and they get rid of it, they get healed. So I have to ask the question, what's going on with that? So any kind of occult involvement, you need to stay away from it. Submitting to addiction. Once you've submitted to addiction, you've invited in a spirit of addiction. Immorality of any kind, sexual immorality, will cause demonization every single time. Idolatry and adultery go right next to each other. Sexual adultery, idolatry in the Bible over and over and over. Whenever we do that, we're opening ourselves to to the evil supernatural. Self-rejection, cursing with words spoken over you by your family or yourself, unforgiveness, We talked about that, seeking ungodly control of others, violence, murder, including abortion, and submitting to spiritual powers on land. Now, that's an example of you go to a mosque and you take off your shoes because they want you to take off your shoes. And, oh, I want to be polite and culturally acceptable. Now you've submitted to the power behind that location. And you will have some residue from that. Now, will you be heavily demonized by one of these minor acts? Probably not. There's a sliding scale. When people get in the occult and they're very involved, they go in a coven, they're probably going to need a lot of ministry into deliverance. But if you just like dabbled in it here and there, it might be a one-off thing. I remember a lady that serves in our ministry now. She has, uh, she had, uh, uh, she had migraines, and she was an intercessor, by the way, for the church. And the more she entered into her se- intercession, the more migraines she got. Isn't that interesting? Because the enemy uses these open doors to lock down our what our gifting and calling is. 
finally, the Lord revealed to her through the teaching at LL that she had she had done a seance when she was about 12 years old, right at the time that these things had started. So she got prayer into doing that. Now, she thought it was just a little kid that I was just a kid. I was just fiddling around. I wasn't being serious. But they had opened the door to the enemy. And when she got prayer into that, she repented of it. And they and they del- did deliverance ministry. That's just basically telling the demonic to leave after you've taken away its right to be there by confession, repentance, and so forth, and forgiveness. She was immediately free of the migraine then, and she hasn't struggled with them since, and that was five years ago. But for all those years, from 12 years on, she 12 years old on, even though she was a committed Christian for a lot of her life, she was struggling with migraines because she had dabbled in the occult. So when we bow the knee to anything of the evil supernatural and go to this ev- the evil supernatural, you're going to have issues. Let me talk about unwilling participation, and then I want to go to prayer. And I'm going to pray a little bit from the front, but what we're going to do after we go to prayer is I'm going to ask the team, and there's only five of us. So what I'm going to ask you to do is if you're saying, oh, I want some prayer ministry, I want you to be thinking right now while I'm talking, Lord, what's the one thing you want me to receive prayer for? And then I need you to focus me in and the, and the other team members in on that thing. I, okay, so we want to, we, we love you and we care about your soul, and the Lord cares about your soul, but we have limited time, and we want to deal with everybody that wants prayer. So we want you to focus in on the one thing and, and try not to tell us your entire life story, but just tell us what we need to know in order to minister into that, okay? So be praying about it. If you feel that you're supposed to get ministry, the Lord may already have it front and center for you. But try to think of what the one thing is that you would want prayer for, and we'll try to minister with you personally. But uh, I'll pray into a few general things. The other, other areas of demonic footholds are unwilling participation by generational iniquity, believing lies that have been spoken over you by, by family members or friends or spiritual leaders or, or even yourself, being controlled in an ungodly way, not talking about being out of, just allowed to do whatever you want, but when there isn't godly loving control put on, it's a control that's benefiting the controller and is oppressing the person that's being controlled. That kind of control often o- opens people up uh, to the demonic. Over being overwhelmed by fear, even in accident. People are in an accident and they're overwhelmed by fear. The enemy will come into that time because it's kind of like our spiritual guard is down. Our soul and body may be hurt and the demonic can come in and take a place. Because we've seen this as we minister to people. Uh, receiving abuse of any kind. Receiving rejection. So these are just a few that we I name out. And you say, well, I've got all of those. Well, pray and ask the Lord which one you want the Lord to deal with today, okay? The next picture I have is a lady uh, that uh, you can't see her arms because she always wore long sleeves. This was in another country. I was not directly involved with this particular ministry. But uh, she the reason she covered her arms is because this is what her arms looked like. And they had for a long time. And when the team prayed for her, they felt that there was witchcraft, and indeed the lady uh, admitted that either she or her family or both had been involved in that. 
And when she brought that unto the blood and repented of it and they prayed to deliver it, she had a mighty deliverance. There was a manifestation or something left her. And when they came back two weeks or three weeks later, all this was completely gone. It was completely healed up and normal. The next photo I have is, is what purports to be the Holy Bible, which is actually a King James Version, but it has the mark of the, uh, the Freemasons on it. And this is what the, and I put this up here because the enemy loves to mix the holy and the profane. He's happy about that. You remember when they used to take idols into the temple? Okay? And they defiled the temple with it? We can defile ourselves by being, we can be, have two, one foot in each world. But when you do that, you're in uh, all kinds of chaos in here. And if your family line messed around in this kind of stuff and you become a born-again Christian or you're a committed Christian now, you need to really cut off all of that stuff. Now, with Freemasonry, I'll just tell you, if you come to me and say, we have, I have Freemasonry in my background, I'm going to tell you, listen, we don't have time to pray into all of that. We need to get you with somebody to pray specific prayers. There's, there's some fairly detailed prayers in that instance because there's a lot of curses and words that are spoken. And, and I found that you need to renounce it. We can pray a quick prayer with you, but I would advise you to get with somebody that can pray through it. And what you can do is call our center, and we'll try to set you up. You can call the Canada Center or the U.S. Center, and we'll try to set you up with a prayer ministry appointment or, or have you to a ministry day or a retreat so that you can get uh, that stuff prayed through in more detail. But it's all over America, friends, and in, in that's why I bring it up. And I hope you're not highly offended by it, but if you have any of that kind of stuff in your home, you need to get rid of it. If you have a Freemason, well, it's the Holy Word of God. No, it's got all kinds of mixture in it. You need to get that out of your home. That stuff will influence spiritually the atmosphere of your home. You have a Freemasonry ring. Well, it was my grandpa's ring, and it's very valuable to me. You need to get rid of it. I'm just telling you it's an accursed object, and you need to not have that stuff in your home. But anything that comes from the occult, you need to get rid of it. Um, here's a few more. I'm not going to even talk about those because I don't want to confuse you. So let's just put up the flag, you guys. Okay, you you have the flag or whatever the the end slide is because I just want to pray. Now, when we go to the ministry time, everybody, this is the last teaching session. We were going to have a closing session, which is my preference, but considering the weather, we want you to be dismissed and blessed. So before I go into praying about these specific issues, I just want to pray a blessing over you and a, a release to you so that if you need to leave or want to leave and you're not going to receive prayer or whatever, you can be released, okay? Um, and I want to thank you for allowing us to be part of your weekend. I want to thank Pastor and his wife, Kelly, uh, Pastor Jim and, and Pastor Kelly for hosting us, and the whole church. I think Pastor Mary, was Mary a pastor? Yes, Pastor Mary, uh, she actually gave up her room for me, and I want to say thank you um, to her specifically, and to also Pastor Sandor, and uh, all the others, the people that kept team members and fed us. Thank you so much for your hospitality. I think we're going to be here tomorrow with you, Lord willing, if we can get through the snow um, here at the church.
But thank you for allowing us to minister to you, and we we just want to bless you as you go, and uh, and we'd encourage you that this is really just the start of your journey, but you should look into continuing the healing process, whether it's with all our ministries or something else, that you continue your walk in the Messiah, because the Lord may have touched on some things he wants to minister to deeper over a longer time, okay? Let me just pray that prayer, and then I'm going to go into ministry time. So, Lord, I just pray and thank you for our opportunity to serve here. I just pray as people go their separate ways, if they leave after they receive ministry or, or, or right away, Lord, whenever they leave, that you'll keep them safe on the roads. Lord, that you'll drive these truths deep into their heart and water them. And, Lord, you'll seal in the good truth that you taught them and the work that you've done. Lord, I pray that anything that we've spoken or taught or anything we're about to pray that is not of you, Lord, came from our flesh or just our own thinking, that it would fall away and become nothing. But, Lord, if it is from your Holy Spirit, that it will be sealed in and that it will grow and that it will bear much fruit, good fruit for the kingdom and for their families, for their lives, and for their families. In Jesus' name I pray. So I just want to pray some uh, general prayer from the front about specifically if you've been involved in the occult. Okay? So if you've been involved in the occult, this is you. I want you to fall. I'm going to speak out a prayer, but I want you to come into agreement with it. And we're going to bring before the Lord any involvement in idolatry of any kind, worshiping a fa- in a false religion, bowing to an idol, or doing anything related to the occult. And ask the Lord for forgiveness for this. And if we know our family line's been involved in it, ask the Lord for forgiveness of our family line. And we're going to forgive those who drew us into it and were involved in it with us and so forth. And I'm going to ask the Lord to break off any influence and pray for you that you would be delivered of any influence of it and evil supernatural. So, Lord, we come to you now, Lord, with any occult practice that anyone has done here and is willing to repent of now. They've never brought it to you specifically, but you've brought it to their mind now. They may have even forgot about it, but you're bringing it to their mind now. And we just want to ask forgiveness for our involvement in the occult. And specifically, if you have something you're involved in, I want you to speak it out under your breath. Maybe you got a tarot card reading. Maybe you did something one-off, or maybe you were deeply involved. I ask, Lord, for your forgiveness for this. Lord, I choose to forgive those who got me involved in it. Maybe it was a parent or a family member or friend. I forgive the people that practiced any of these kind of arts on me, the practitioners that are involved. Lord, we want to ask forgiveness for anywhere our family has been involved in occult activities that we know of. And specifically, these are the occult activities that we're aware of. And you just speak under your breath any occult activity your families have been involved in that you want to bring to the Lord. We confess this as sin and we agree with you, Lord, that it was a it was a violation of your moral laws and your teachings about how we are to conduct our lives. We ask you for your forgiveness, Lord. 
We forgive our ancestors for opening the doors and all the consequences in our family line, maybe even in ourselves and our children, of that involvement in your plan. We bring before you, Lord, any idolatry that we've been involved in or false religion. We ask you to forgive us for our own personal involvement in that. We forgive those that attracted us and drew us in and anybody that we were involved intimately with and connected to in that false religion. We forgive them for their involvement and participation in your plan system. And in our family line where there's been idolatry and involvement in false religion, we ask for your forgiveness of our family line. And we, Lord, we want to turn away from that and speak now, Lord, we do not want that to follow down our family line anymore. We renounce it and we reject it completely. And we forgive our ancestors for getting us involved in it in the first place. Specifically, we ask your forgiveness for, this is where you would speak out any false religions or um, cults that claim to be Christian, but you know now that they were, were almost always a cult with disclaim the deity of Jesus. Not any involvement in anything like that. Now, Lord, we ask with regard for any of this occult involvement or idolatry in our family lines or ourselves that you would break and sever every ungodly tie that exists between us and any of those other people. Any of those practitioners, we bring a complete separation in Jesus' name and bring back the person, every bit of the person's personhood to them. And we ask you, Lord, to bring that back and to remove any part of those practitioners and other people they were involved with in that activity, whether it be a cult or idolatry or false religion, and bring back to them any part of themselves and remove any part of those people from them. And any spiritual influence. And we speak to anything of the evil supernatural that has had a hold in their life now has caused disorder, physical, spiritual, or mental disorder in Jesus' name. We command you to leave them now and go to the place where the Lord Jesus approached you. In Jesus' name, you'll come right up off of them. Jesus' name, you'll come right off of their mind, out of their spirit, out of their gut, wherever you've had a lodging, in Jesus' name, you will go. Come right out of them and off of them. Any influence is cut off now in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray for your healing to come into those places where the enemy has left behind any harm. Now, Lord, as we enter into this time of prayer ministry, Lord, we've talked about deliverance, but our issue may be an inner healing issue, an emotional thing, something that we talked about earlier. There may be a need to express pain, maybe a need to forgive someone. I pray, Father, right now, you would bring very clearly to the front. Maybe it's a lordship issue, but some of the struggle for years is giving complete control to Jesus in this particular area. Whatever it might be, Father, I pray you bring it front and center to the people that want to receive prayer individually now. And Lord, you'll give us the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to deal with the situations that people are bringing. We know it's not us, but Lord, you use us as your instruments, so we humble ourselves before you. We ask for a supernatural infilling and refreshment of your Holy Spirit in each one of the prayer ministers and a wisdom and understanding 
will help and pray for people. And Lord, more than anything, I pray that they would pray for themselves. This is their walk between them and, and you, Lord. You're just coming alongside them for this very short time. But we ask you, Lord, that they would draw closer to you. Through the, in Jesus' name I pray.